0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. It is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, Podbean, Podbay, Stitcher, Blueberry, anywhere you can find a podcast app. Uh, Overcast apparently is really popular these days. You can also stream the episodes directly from the website aboutTreeview.com. And follow the podcast on social media at about to review Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, on today's episode, oh, also, right? Uh, well, I will introduce you first. Um, on today's episode, I am joined via the Skype machine by the one and only Tim Hall, the People's Critic.
1: Hey, good morning, sir.
0: <laughs> good morning. Um, so, yeah, today's episode, we're going to be talking about four different uh movies before i kind of go into that another couple things right off the top uh the link for the renton city comic-con geek awards is in the description below you can vote for this podcast the about to review podcast in three different categories so that will be listed below i would love your support in uh getting nominated for an award for geek best geek or geek of the year in the Pacific Northwest, which would be pretty crazy. Uh, you can also now go on facebook.com slash review and leave a review, considering there was a way to do that this whole time, and I only figured it out a couple weeks ago. Because, yeah, John not smart. <laughs> John talk pretty someday. Uh, but yeah, so I figured out how to do that. So go on facebook.com slash abouttreeview and leave a review for this podcast. And also youtube.com. Slash about to review for the interview segments, uh, the about to interview segments of this show. All right. uh, So the movies that Tim and I are going to be tackling today uh, are going to be Solo, a Star Wars story. Just a little, you know, movie that Disney put out that they think is going to do well. You know, little thing. Uh, Also, the documentary Pope Francis, A Man of His Word, which is playing... ...at the Seattle International Film Festival right now. Uh, I will be then giving a review for Boom For Real... ...the late teenage years of Jean-Michel Basquiat... ...which played at the Northwest Film... ...or is playing at the Northwest Film Forum here in Seattle. And then we will round off the show... ...with a brutal and bloody French movie called Revenge... ...which also played during the Seattle International Film Festival... So that will be on this week's episode of About Tree Review. Before we get into that, we'll go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a tree. back and ready to tackle this uh this group of movies and and the geek news but first uh how has your week been tim hall the people's critic
1: uh it's been busy uh to say the <laughs> least but it's been good it's been busy though but but good i talked to i interviewed the director of blind spotting mm-hmm. um which was pretty cool so that was fun to talk about sort of the process of making that film and you know, it's a bunch of young people getting together to make a really cool film, so that was fun. So yeah, just fun, SIF stuff, movie stuff. It's been good though. No, no real, real life complaints. Just busy. Yeah, uh, I totally
0: understand that. Yeah, uh, I also had the opportunity to interview uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada, the director of Blind Spotting. Uh, we have to hold those interviews uh, for about what two months uh, yeah. until the movie gets released here. So definitely be on. Uh, the lookout for those from both Tim and I, uh, nice. Yeah. And then this week is also like, is kind of slow. Like the, the summer movie or like late spring movie has not started hitting us super hard, which is good because Sif is a monster. So yeah, we're still kind of pounding through that and we will be for the next five weeks.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. Pretty crazy. Uh, so, the first section of the show is the Geek News slash roughly the news section where we go over some little like quick hits of some news items having to do with TV, comics, and movies. So, first item. Uh, so, the CW shows that I am a huge fan of, that Tim makes fun of me for liking as much as I do.
1: No, I don't make fun of for liking as much as they do. I like them. I watched them. Uh, I said I they were
0: I said they were amazing and you, you scoffed said, at me.
1: No, I scoffed <laughs> at you saying it was amazing writing, and I was like, It's not amazing writing. It's good and it's well done, but it's a hundred percent cheesy comic book nonsense. Yes, which is amazing that, it, that they are able to take
0: amazing. a comic book craziness in a storyline and put it on screen and be like, Yep, this is silly, this is ridiculous,
1: but here it is. I think their ability to, their ability to adapt comic books for television and weave in different characters and storylines is good. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it amazing writing. Hmm. I said it was good. I, I don't <laughs> scoff at you. I I watch the shows. Yeah. Flash is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> Flash is Black incredible. Life. Yeah. Um. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the the Flero-verse, as it is sometimes called, or the Berlanti verse, with Arrow. Yeah,
1: I've
0: never heard any of those terms, by the way. What? Well, nope. you, you need to get up on your uh, your terms there. Uh, never heard any so, of those
1: terms.
0: <laughs> so those comprise of you know, Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow. Black Lightning is part of it, but not quite part of it yet. Uh, they sure. did say some things in Season 1 of Black Lightning that kind of laid the groundwork that they could integrate it. Um, one of the characters, they're getting ready for... Uh, a costume contest or a costume party and they're like oh wh- you know who do you want to go as Supergirl? and so i was like okay at least they are
1: <laughs> acknowledging they're, it they're, so they're, they're obviously going to integrate them at some point I mean, at some point yeah. talking about like an almost all black cast integrating with the rest of them but they're almost going to integrate at some point um we just don't know how they're going to do it mm-hmm. or how they're going to talk but i'm sure it's going to happen yeah and the big crossover
0: event that they talked about for next season because every year They do a four-episode arc, just like they used to do in the comics, or still do in the comics, where they tie in, they throw in all the characters for some convoluted reason, and they merge all of the shows, and it ties in one episode on each of the shows. Next year, uh, the big news is that they're going to be introducing Kate Kane, a.k.a. Batwoman, into this crossover episode. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Uh, They also announced that Gotham is going to be part of it. John Barrowman, you know, put out a tweet or an Instagram post, something like, you know, excited to see what we do in Gotham on the CW. And it was like, okay. So they're going to introduce Batwoman, which is awesome. Kate Kane has been an incredible character the past few years and has has become a prominent LGBTQ representation character. How they're going to... Throw in Batwoman, without tying in Batman and the Bat Family, is going to be interesting.
1: I mean, Batman is gets in the curse to to Warner Brothers in yes, DC because absolutely. he is one of their most compelling characters because he has such interesting villains surrounding him. But also, they are always going to go back to Batman. Like, yeah, always the go to, which is kind of. Sucks because there's other interesting characters that they could probably do shows about or, or have sort of woven into their fabric. But no, they're always going to go back to Batman. If, mm-hmm. if it looks like my show might get, might get canceled, if I need a ratings boost, if I need something to get – if I'm bringing in something new to get people excited, I'm going to bring in Batman. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, we, we will see. Um, I mean, kind of tangentially related, the TV show Gotham got picked up again. The, apparently, people still watch that show. That was terrible. Like that show is rough, but what sucks is like one of their new promo uh videos includes the Joker, like the actual Joker, not somebody who we think is and all the misdirects they were trying to do the past like four seasons. Like legit they're doing the Joker, but Batman is still like 12 or 13 years old and it was like yeah,
1: that's what are you guys doing? when i when i when i first heard about the show when it was first mentioned years ago before the pilot started i thought it was going to be a show about gotham pd um right period and just sort of like Mm -hmm. why we need a batman like what's happening in the city like the comic
0: book series gcpd
1: which was great none it's none of that no (laughs) yeah it's a young bruce wayne a crazy alfred he's running around with catwoman and poison ivy when they're younger and they're they're hinting at who's the joker it's just it's lazy and dumb yeah. i wish i wish the show i'm surprised it got renewed Ser- like and it
0: the ratings are still solid and it was like who is watching the, are people just turning on their tv and then just walking away are people yeah. actually still wa- like that show is just rough and they announced uh and this i hope it does not pan out but they said that they might be working on an alfred prequel tv show
1: yeah i saw that too i just ignored <laughs> it's like what i just flat out ignored that i was like oh, i'm not watching that What no. is it going to be alfred alfred in the military
0: i mean that is the thing is that has been retconned in the past decade where alfred was not just a stodgy old butler like he was kind of mi6 and like special forces i like that aspect introducing that aspect in the character in the comics it makes sense in the tv show it kind of makes sense but I have zero desire to see an Alfred prequel of him in the military and then become starting working for the Waynes after this illustrious military career. Like what? Uh,
1: It's dumb.
0: Yeah. Super dumb. But tying back to the regular news. So Batwoman is coming to the CW. Uh, Stephen Amell of Arrow announced it. So, I mean, all of these kind of convergence events, like they did invasion crisis on earth X All of them are interesting, and again, it is clever writing that they're able to do that with multiple shows and have them come together. So I'm on board for this Batwoman coming into the CW, but I am nervous. Um, (laughs) So, we'll see. Uh, The next bit, so X-Men Dark Phoenix. Remember that movie uh, that comes out next year that people kind of keep forgetting about until somebody mentions it? Right. So, at the red carpet premiere of Deadpool 2... They were talking to Simon Kinberg about X-Men Dark Phoenix coming out February of 2019, which was supposed to come out this year, but that was not happening. And he said that this was going to be a quote less operatic take than X-Men Apocalypse.
1: I don't um, trust anything they say. It just No. This, <laughs> and we give the property to Marvel Studios and we'll be done with this. So, with this grounded
0: approach, Uh, Because Simon Kinberg, (laughs) this is what he said, it's a movie that involves extraterrestrial characters, which is not something that we've done in the X-Men franchise before, and is something that is a huge part of the Dark Phoenix saga in comics. The tone is, I don't know if I would say darker, but it's more intense. It's more real and grounded and hopefully more relatable, a little less operatic than we've been in the past. What? Why? This is a space (laughs) opera story.
1: Here's the problem. I don't don't trust them to do any of that kind of stuff. (laughs) Here's the thing like what makes the X-Men the X-Men isn't fighting aliens in space. No. It's not it. It's not the story. Mm-hmm. And they, and and to to point to that and say we're going to be more grounded and it's going to be a more of an X-Men story yet you're you're launching your heroes out in space. Like I don't I don't need to see it. I'm going to see it. I don't need to see it. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I hope it fails miserably and it's the last one they do. Uh well technically new mutants will be coming out after
0: Well, oh no, did they push that? New Mutants has been just getting beaten up in production. Like, it was delayed six months at one point. I currently do not even know if it is coming out in 2018 or if they're going to push it all the way to 2019.
1: No, it got got pushed to 2019.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, that is happening. And we will see. Um, In other somewhat disappointing news, so Thundercats. One of the most amazing '80s cartoons. Uh, have you guys talked about it on Made in the '80s yet?
1: No, not yet. I'm not sure why we haven't yet, but mm. we, have, we will. We will soon. Because Kenan loves Thundercats.
0: Perhaps that could be a collaboration with another local sure. podcast. Sure. Interesting. Uh, so Thundercats, fantastic '80s cartoon, just <laughs> super machismo, uh, but at the same time, just silly and weird. It got relaunched in 2011 on Cartoon Network. They did one season. The animation was awesome. The storylines, I mean, were a little bit rough, but it was Thundercats. You are not going into it We're like, hmm, let me get this amazing, deep, complex storyline. But the reason I'm talking about it is because they just dropped a trailer for the new Thundercats TV show uh, called Thundercats Roar. Mm-hmm. and it looks very very much like the Teen Titans Go style um here is my problem Teen Titans Go first of all is amazing super funny mm-hmm. super ridiculous but they earned their right to do that because they gave us things like Young Justice and Justice League and Justice League International and other kind of heavier shows so when they did something super silly, it was like, all right, cool. This is something totally different. Uh, the movie comes out in a couple months, I think. Teen Titans go to the movies. This one, the Thundercats roar looks like hot garbage.
1: Like, uh, uh, it looks like something for kids. I don't know if it looks like hot garbage. It looks like something that's for children. Ugh. It's, it's like if I looked at Peppa Pig and was like, <laughs> oh, Peppa Pig is trash. Like Peppa Pig's for kids. It looks like a show, a cartoon that's for kids and not making it necessarily for our demographic. We're aware of the show because we grew up on it, but you know, the style of the cartoon, um, the way it's, you know, the way the characters are drawn, the, the sort of the pacing, the mm-hmm. movement, it looks like something that's for younger kids. Oh,
0: it, it totally is. and I can understand that. It's just you and I are now in this kind of weird position of we the geeks of our generation have kind of been the gatekeepers it feels like because geek culture started in our generation as far as things like animation and things like this and so we i mean yeah we i at least take it a little bit personally when i'm like but this is not what i remember no
1: nah, i mean it's, it's the same thing for like our parents felt the same way right whether it be re- a reimagining of james bond or um Remaking a classic movie like Three Ten to Yuma to a, a more modern tale with more right. action in it, right? And so it speaks to a different demographic. Uh, so that's just always going to be the case. It, so it is. Our, I just for our I, parents, we saw that in <laughs> cinema. We saw it in music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw it in television shows. Where we're, it's new. It's new to me. Like mm-hmm. for sure, that's that's new to me, and that's how I see it. So I don't see it any other way. But you know, my dad's pulling his hair out because. You can't believe that they're they're rebooting the Twilight Zone or they're doing Mm -hmm. something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I I get it. I guess this
0: Teen Titans Go is just really good. And so I just yes, I would love for Thundercats Roar to be good. It just that first trailer has it just does not grab me. Whereas the first trailer for Teen Titans Go, I was like, are this looks silly and ridiculous? You know, Yeah,
1: I I don't think it's supposed to grab you. Well, I don't think I don't they think should. A demographic for it. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think the demo is thirty-something <laughs> th- male. Yeah, that may not be the demo for that cartoon.
0: Uh, fair enough. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, dovetailing into another '80s property that you actually hipped us to uh, in our group chat, She-Ra, Princess of She-ra. Power, is coming back. Yes. Yeah. So far, we have no idea what animation style it is going to be. They only released the poster and then the cast which nobody knows who any of that cast is like it's just a bunch of young (laughs) younger voice actors and it was like they put out the picture of
1: them and it was like cool i hope it's good i hope you know i'm all for representation man i hope you know some of my friends with young daughters and young boys Mm -hmm. able to see strong female representation um in in cartoons which is something that we rarely had growing up so i'm very true a lot of my, you know, younger nieces and nephews get to turn on their Netflix and, and binge watch a cool show. Um, that's that's awesome. So, because I loved He Man, so mm-hmm. I hope some people get. Even though looking back, He Man was. Oh my cartoon.
0: gosh, it is so rough. It's bad. And now that it so, is on Netflix, I encourage anybody who has fond memories of He Man just don't. Pop, pop a couple episodes no, on.
1: Don't do it. Just remember He Man as it was. <laughs> do not watch it because it really ruins it for you. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this, you know, the success of that, maybe we'll launch, uh, help launch the remake of Master of the Universe, and we'll get an actual, like, Game of Thrones style. You know what Superman. is happening,
0: right? Like, they're doing a live-action version. It is already in pre-production. We'll see. Well, yeah, very true. It's been,
1: it's been something that's been in pre-production for a while. Yeah. So we'll see.
0: Uh, but yeah, so She-Ra Princess, I think it, I mean, they probably are going to go full title, She-Ra Princess of Power. Um, And, yeah, the cast also looked super diverse. I mean, it was a bunch of young, like, 20-year-old actors that I had no idea who any of them were, but the cast itself was really diverse. So I'm on board for that. Uh, Yeah, it it should be interesting. Uh, The last bit of news. So another movie that Tim and I have had our eyes on for a while, there's some some hot-off-the-presses news. So Aquaman the movie no, that uh, the movie that comes out we have talked about this in six months six months is when this or seven months december is when they say and no trailer no other than like three pictures we got nothing right right um so the the man excuse me uh who is playing ocean master uh actually no he's not playing ocean master um who is it? who is it so yaha abdul mateen from uh the get down oh he's playing um what's his face uh, uh
1: Ma- black, mantis, manta, right? yeah, black manta black manta black mantis yeah
0: so somebody reached out to him on twitter and was like hey you know when are we gonna see a trailer this is his response if i did that it would capitalized ruin everything everything it killed the entire publicity plan You'll be excited for maybe 30 minutes, then you'd have nothing to look forward to. You'd just be waiting again. So, no, I won't tell you.
1: What? It's really out of his hands. I don't know why he's even saying it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like the co-star of the film has this, any control over when they see it. Yeah, as if he's and like, he, oh, he you want to see it? know if they're putting one out or he doesn't. No, like. <laughs> not at all.
0: He might get an email three yeah. days before the launch and be like, hey, all hands on deck for social media here are the, the trailer in different formats but out, other than that somebody reached out to me like hey can we get the trailer he does not have the ability to be like you know what random twitter user yeah. I'm going to release it
1: tomorrow yeah check your DMs I got like, you what? <laughs> I, got the, I got the whole trailer in there for you yeah I don't know um, I'm trying to think of what other Warner Brothers properties coming out that they might attach a trailer to before comic-con not because if not comic-con has to be the point where we get a trailer which is next month
0: or wait uh yeah next month
1: july it's july 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 yeah uh so yeah so either (laughs) uh, because i don't know uh do do you have a summer movie calendar i have one um
0: i don't have one up but i can pull one up summer movie calendar
1: all right, what what Warner Brothers property is coming out um, that we might see this attached to?
0: <laughs> hmm. I mean, I think you are right in that, I mean, so they have released a couple trailers, but it was at like CinemaCon and a couple other things. So I think...
1: Oh, I, I haven't heard of anyone who's seen anything from it. So I don't oh yeah. even know if that's...
0: Yeah, CinemaCon, they released a little bit. And of course, people were like, it was amazing. It was like... Okay, you got to see something nobody else has seen. When have we ever, from a Comic-Con type of situation, heard somebody who saw some saw a clip a year in advance and they were like, it sucked. Like, you were just excited you were in the room. So, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I just, I'm looking and I am not sure. I think, yeah, most likely it would just yeah. be comic-con i mean i I, that would be the smartest thing especially since marvel is no longer going to san diego comic-con because they have d23 the other studios can be like oh cool the giant monster in the room is not here how about we do some stuff so uh let me see oh that just reminds me of how excited am for incredibles 2 which comes out very soon yes yeah it is gonna be rough i mean because even if i look so if i look to see what is around comic-con which is in june mm, no they'll
1: probably just release the the trailer at comic-con that'll be it
0: yeah oh yeah june 15th superfly comes out i know how excited you are for that nope (laughs)
1: I don't, even, I don't even think we're screening that movie.
0: Oh no, there is. It looks
1: like a it looks like a gigantic music video. You know what's funny? So since since production, they've done all this like behind the scenes social media stuff, and it's just it doesn't look good. No, but it, it, it doesn't look good. It Really it looks, does not. Yeah, it does not look good. Yeah, the original so. Superfly is 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 a crazy seventies black exploitation film, mm-hmm. but but at least it was seventies crazy black
0: exploitation film that was fun. This looks terrible. Right. So anyway, the trailer looks bad. Yeah. (laughs) So, so yeah, uh, that was the, the geek news with Aquaman. Who knows? Who knows? But folks do not reach out to the random actors attached to these projects, expecting them to actually have the ability. They're not Robert Downey Jr. They're not at the level where they could make a call and be like, hey, I want to do this thing. No. no. So, just, yeah, just leave no. them alone. Uh, okay. So, uh, now that the, the news is over, the first movie on the docket today for review is Solo, A Star Wars Story.
1: Uh, how about you set this one up, and then I will set up uh, Pope Francis. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Solo, A Star Wars Story, is the early story of everyone's favorite smuggler... Uh, Han Solo. Mm -hmm. And you meet a very young Han Solo, and you see how he ends up meeting up with Chewie, how he ends up getting the Falcon, uh, the Castle Run, uh, all the stuff that we sort of heard about in his past. We get to see some of it. Uh, But it's essentially a heist film. Mm -hmm. It's a heist film that involves a bunch of Star Wars characters. Yeah, That was exactly what
0: I wrote down. Like This was a sci-fi western heist film. And when I mentioned that to somebody, they were like, Oh, you mean Firefly? That <laughs> was no. like, I mean, yes, in a sense, because it is kind of that sci fi Western feel. No, but, but totally no. different in tone and uh, d- various abilities of, of things. <laughs> um, no, but
1: just, just the, the entire structure of the story is very much a Heist film where mm-hmm. they do a job for a guy, that doesn't go well, they owe a guy a favor, so then they do another, a bigger, more impossible job. Which is, you know, uh, very much a structure we've seen in a thousand heist films. For sure. And this
0: was, I mean, the production behind this movie was definitely tenuous for, for a long time. And like you and I have talked about before, when you get, when a director gets a property like this, at this caliber with Disney especially, you can have some of your own ideas, but in general they want you to play ball in their universe and they want you to follow certain rules so this movie lost directors this movie lost writers this movie had a bunch of reshoots and what were you it was something like 70% is is yeah. what one report said of reshoots like that going going back and doing reshoots is kind of industry standard it happens you need to pick some stuff up but when ron howard got attached And you know that Disney was like, okay, Ron Howard will play ball. Ron Howard, if we say we need X, Y, Z, he will do it. He will do it in his Ron Howard way, but he knows how to follow the rules. I think a lot of these younger directors are like, I want to do this and this. And they're like, cool. No, you need to do it this
1: way. And I also think, you know, from what happens in this movie and the things that are introduced, allows for disney to go a lot of different places with their their new content that's going to be on the streaming platform mm-hmm. television shows animated shows the new trilogy of movies uh... a lot of the foundation that's in this film allows for like oh that would be cool to see this group of people or see this happen or what happened to this person or where did this person go right um... i think and i think that was kind of the point of whatever happened in these reshoots is now we're able to sort of it's it, it sort of solo ends up being sort of a, a launching pad for a bunch of other ideas and stuff outside of Scott, the Skywalker trilogies or, you know,
0: movies that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. This was because again, when people start thinking about prequels, you know, star Wars, it gets a little bit dicey. Um, with rogue one, that was, that was not really a launching point because spoiler alert, nobody lives. And right. so it was not really a, Hey, look what happened leading up to star wars and here are some avenues we could go it was like hey this is one story that we can tell but rogue one essentially is the launching pad for the first trilogy right and that is what i'm saying like here is one story that people have wanted to see and then that story is over like it is done this does a much much better job of here are characters you know here's where they came from here is an adve- here is the first adventure they went on, and we can now go in several different directions. So right. after I mean, so what did you think about the actual cast? Cause this cast was loaded. So you have Woody Harrelson, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover, Tandy Newton, uh Paul Bettany, John Favreau uh, or John Trevor did a voice, but I mean there were you, got, t- you forgot
1: the main guy what's going on
0: well because i was getting to him <laughs> mainly because the other names are way more recognizable than him uh and then you have han solo played by alden how do, do you know how to pronounce that nope Reich.
1: because like there's That's, not it's, it's, it's something i can't pronounce that much i know
0: yeah er, reich yeah. alden erin reich sure uh as han solo so what did you think about the cast and their kind of chemistry
1: I thought it was really good. I think it's, you know, to their strength to have a strong cast around an actor like Alden, who hasn't been in a bunch. So Mm -hmm. you surround him with veteran actors and uh, someone like Donald Glover, who, you know, can do comedy and and is very charismatic. And someone like Amelia Clark who's very strong Mm -hmm. and um, can hold her own, obviously. Um, And and seasoned actors like Harrelson, Danny Newton and Paul Bettany. Uh, so it's, it's a nice, well-balanced cast who can all do sort of humor, action. They can all do, you know, sort of like five-tool actors. They can do a bunch of different stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that helps because we we're, we weren't necessarily sure what he could do as Han Solo. Yep. <laughs> so surrounding him with a, with a bunch of, of 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 shooters who can you know who can score from anywhere in any kind of way on a, on a, in the you know so now a sports analogy right but. It's like mm-hmm. surrounding your your rookie with a bunch of veteran players who are very good, and you hope your rookie talented enough to carry the team. Um, See, and that and was
0: and yeah. I mean that 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 analogy for sure makes sense, and I think that was one of my issues with the movie in that. So Woody Harrelson is incredible in almost everything, even though he is Woody Harrelson. Like I mean, there you know he does not really. You don't really lose him in roles like you do some other actors, Mm -hmm. but he is so, so good. And so is everybody else. Donald Glover just crushes it. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that rookie on the team, Alden, Mm -hmm. being surrounded by all these better actors, almost just pointed out that he is not at that level yet. And I just, I'm not sure... (laughs)
1: If, I don't know if he need to be for this movie, though.
0: I don't know if that's what they needed him to do. True, but I just... You know, if this does go in the several directions that it could have, and, you know, he personally gets a spinoff, not just other people in the movie, I, I just... I'm not sure that... I mean, it, what it feels like is if he gets another solo movie, they're going to have to stack the deck again and be like, okay, here's another group of A-grade actors... be around you so like he was i guess one of the hardest parts is like in this movie that is called solo a star wars story to me the least interesting character was han solo
1: and that sucks (laughs) i mean i don't know if that sucks i mean the least interesting character in black panther was black panther i don't think it sucked Mm, i think it's just it's it's what the movie called for i don't think it was You know, for whatever reshoots they had to do and whatever script they had, this Mm -hmm. was what they came up with was a high story. And it's it's uh, Han is very young and it's kind of wet behind the ears and kind of doesn't know what's going on. And it's very green. And Mm -hmm. that works at a benefit because it fits the actor in this role, which he's he's new to this kind of stuff. He's really not sure what's going on. And he's kind of very green. So it fits him. So I don't you know, I don't necessarily think they stack the deck with a bunch of actors they put a bunch of actors that played well off of him. So that's why it, it works ultimately. Yeah. I don't and think they need him to be like, to be Harrison Ford. Right. I don't think they needed that.
0: Yeah. Cause they, I mean, it, you know, this is his story of kind of learning that confidence or, or not necessarily learning it. Cause it seems like he has always had it from the first moment we see him, but it is using that charisma and charm in a, in different ways after he
1: may may not have had it then.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like even from the very beginning, like in the, in the opening scene, when you see him and he has to kind of start talking his way out of things, like, so he already kind of had that charisma because where he grew up and I did like that, you know, that when he, where he grew up in Corellia, it was, it was rough. Like he grew up in the slums having to kind of make it by any means necessary. And I did like that layer that they gave him because we see a little bit of it. And then when he interacts with other people, when he talks about where he came from, the look on their faces, I was like, ugh. Like, you you came from there, and you wow. got out, you know? So, I liked that aspect. I think that they did a good job kind of layering in those little details without being like, this was Han Solo as a child. This was him as a youth. This, You know, we just kind of get right into it as, you know, his 20-something-year-old self.
1: Right. But if, but if he goes into that movie trying to be Harrison Ford, the movie fails. True. Because you can't, you can't be Harrison Ford. Because even Donald Glover's Lando isn't Billy Dee's Lando. It's a version of Lando. But because Glover's such a charismatic actor, it, <laughs> it, it works differently. Yes. Um, so him going in trying to be Han Solo, it just that would have tanked the film. Because you can't do that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the action in this... So I really liked the the heist aspect because there are multiple <laughs> heist aspects to this but the actual like you see some of it in the trailer you know when they are on top of a this kind of maglev train mm-hmm. all of that was fantastic like that was really cool there's this kind of biker gang aspect that was done really well right so I really liked that all of the action set pieces even the ones that were a little bit contrived there was one towards the end that i think was just unnecessary um that has to do with kind of a creature is all i will say i think you know what i'm talking about oh yeah yeah that was kind of dumb uh
1: that's but just something that's like we're gonna put something cool on the big screen pretty much I mean, <laughs> it looks really
0: cool. and they, they did mention it when they first went into that area they're like there's there are stories of something there and yeah. it was like oh there it is <laughs> oh, we we found it. Right. So, other than that one, yeah, I I liked the action. What did you feel about kind of the pacing and the the blocking and everything of those action set
1: pieces? Oh, they were fine. I mean, it's enough to keep me entertained. It wasn't. It didn't never felt long. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were watching, you know, a heist and then planning another heist and then another heist. <laughs> and, right. And, right. Um But it looked it looked cool. It has very much had that Star work. That slick Star Wars look and feel mm-hmm. to it. Um, the The Falcon looked great. Oh, uh,
0: the Falcon looked so good, and it just so good to the point where I was like, Han, what did you do to that poor ship? <laughs> like, yeah. in the thirty years or twenty years between this and when we see the Falcon the first time in the in the first set of trilogy movies, man, that thing has been through the ringer.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, they, they did a good job with the action. It was <clears throat> the the mining planet was really cool that whole yeah and was nice yeah they did a really well well done job yeah um one of the one of the
0: standout roles it seems like both in rogue one and in this are the robots
1: yeah so L3 L3 was
0: great l L3, three l L3-37 voiced by Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh i say voice because nobody is in that suit like that i mean it just it yeah uh that was incredible she has kind of the same tone that we first see in c-3po which is he recognizes that he is a slave essentially being a robot right but he has kind of resigned himself to it l337 in this movie is hilarious she's this robot rights activist right it was amazing all about, all
1: about a revolution it's <laughs> right.
0: so that was done uh super well there's a lot Going on in this film, as far as the Star Wars layers, they mention people and places. There are things in the background that I will maybe mention in a couple of weeks after more people have had a chance to see it. Uh, but Paul Bettany's character as Dryden Voss is a great Star Wars villain.
1: Yeah, he was great. He was like a
0: uh, a mob boss essentially. Yeah, and like that—that that is the thing with Star Wars is. You know, similar to what Jess of the Colonel Nerd Podcast talks about with DC Comics, where the strength is in their villains. With this one, the Star Wars universe, you need to have compelling villains. Or it is just the characters we know and love going on wacky adventures. <laughs> Dryden Voss, like there are parts, there are times in this movie where he gets, when he gets mad and some facial structures change. Right. When it was like, okay, this is going to get bad real quick. Yeah
1: yeah you can tell when he's angry uh very much so <laughs> and uh, nobody likes him when he is angry um, well, <clears throat> but also what, what works is paul betty doesn't play him as a straight up villain right he's when he's having these conversations about a deal or, or a plan he's very calm and welcoming and, and warm and like hospitable oh hey come here have a seat let's you need something to drink what do you need um mm-hmm. uh, okay, well, I might have to kill you. And you're like, wait, what? What is
0: It reminded me of the Dread Pirate Roberts. Like, good job, Wesley. You're doing great. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. (laughs) For three years, he said that. Yeah. So, I mean, he has that that type of villain charisma with him. And a really cool ship. Yeah, (laughs) that that was pretty amazing. Yeah, the the ship designs, the weapon designs were awesome. I, I mean, there were just so many unique weapons in this. I mean, yeah, just the overall scope of this was pretty incredible. And Ron Howard, I mean, he is such a just a fanboy in general. And he has also just happens to be a great director. There are parts of this that the pacing was kind of off a little bit, whether that was, again, having to do with reshoots, whether that was script. If the rumors are true and 70 percent of this had to be reshot that is tough to kind of get back in the rhythm of of things. So there were, there were a few times when it was maybe not as solid, but compelling characters, great action, enough to truly, truly build off of, and enough of those little Easter eggs that we see later on in other movies that as I'm writing them down in the theater, I was just giddy. Like I was just smiling, but I was still entertained. It was not just a... Hey, look at this thing. Hey, like, uh, what was it? The member berries.
1: Mm.
0: It was not just those. It was those mixed with a good storyline. Uh, the Calrysian Chronicles, when Lando is just kind of doing this little journal thing, video journal, yeah. crushes it. Yeah. Very,
1: <laughs> very Captain Kirk like.
0: Yeah. So I, I hope that, my hope going into this was that I just hope he, Donald Glover, was good enough to get his own movie. And from what we have kind of been hearing, that might be happening.
1: Uh, yeah, he might. I don't see why not. So,
0: um, let me see. I think some of the reshoots had to do with adding another character that was relatable and goes back to representation that we talked about before. We cannot really go into much more of that, but I think that was a big part of the reshoots, um, I feel like
1: i have no idea what what why they did reshoots (laughs) i have no idea why Uh, or what was reshot or how much was reshot yeah uh
0: there is there is a reveal um towards the end of this that was incredible like i I i'm not say anything more than that but that was fantastic uh when I i
1: did not see that coming
0: no and when i was writing down my notes like I'm looking at my notes right now. I put stars. I put exclamation points. That was incredible. Um, I do feel like Star Wars has never done a post-credit scene. So it makes sense why it was not a post-credit scene. If this were any other kind of Disney type of Marvel property, that would have been a post-credit scene that would blow people's mind. But they put it right at the end of the movie. Fantastic. Right. So... All right, cool. So to the rating system of this podcast, there are three choices. No letter grades, no stars, none of that. It is an original podcast rating or podcast rating system, movie rating system on this podcast. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. If this is your first time listening, a good film is something that you really enjoy that you want to recommend to your friends. A bad film is not really something that you enjoyed too much and you would not recommend it to your friends. An ugly film, avoid at all costs. So for Solo, a Star Wars story, Tim Hall People's Critic, what do you give it?
1: Oh, it's good. If, you, if you're a fan of Star Wars, if you're a fan of Han Solo, if you're a fan of Donald Glover, if you're a fan of fun movies, it's definitely worth your time. Mm-hmm. Yep,
0: I totally agree. This gets a good from me as well. Uh, again, some of the pacing was a little bit weird. It is weird to have a movie called Solo and Solo is the least interesting person in the film to me. Uh, but It had all of the feels of a Star Wars, of a classic Star Wars movie. The characters were great. The action was great. Uh, It layered a lot of stuff. And I really do think that they could take this as a launching point, both to the streaming services or streaming service and whatever movies they want to do in the interim. I, I think this was a great launching point. So yeah, so two goods for Solo, a Star Wars story. Now to go in a completely opposite direction, Uh, A documentary that is playing at the Seattle International Film Festival called Pope Francis, a man of his word about Pope Francis, uh, who travels the world, kind of speaking to those in need and delivering uh, his message of hope. This is directed by Wim Wenders. Anybody who has listened to this podcast knows that I love documentaries. Uh, It is just something that I, I find fascinating because you know, getting these little insights into people and places and really diving into it. This documentary that we saw, Pope Francis, um, the, when Tim and I came out of this, uh, one of the first words, you know, that I was saying, uh, we will not go into the way that Desis and Mara would describe this movie, uh, <laughs> at least not on this podcast. <laughs> but this is just a fluff piece. This documentary, yeah. it... so it talks about Pope Francis and what the act and the activism he is doing now and the global ambassadorship that he is doing. But for me, Pope Francis is an incredible person as far as like what the, what stories he could tell talking about the first Pope from the Southern or from the South American continent, I mean, he chose the name of a Jesuit. I mean, or rather, he is Jesuit. He chose the name of, of Francis from St. Francis. There are so many compelling aspects to who he is. And all this, and what a lot of this film focused on was what he does, not who he is. So, like, it opens with a,
1: a scene here, here, look, of, I, I'm going to stop you and correct you for a second. Okay, yep. It doesn't really focus on what he does it just he talks about what he does
0: talks about what he does and where
1: he goes (laughs) yeah it doesn't really focus on that that was my problem yeah it doesn't focus on what he does because that's a way more interesting film if they were like here we do we do an international day of prayer and this is why we do it and this is who comes here and this is why this is important Mm -hmm. instead it's like we do an international day of prayer and then we move on to the next conversation (laughs) yeah that's it
0: yeah and it starts with the speech that he gave in 1999 I mean, wow. almost a decade before he became Pope and it was in Brazil and he was talking about just the lessons and like, I want more of that. Like, why is this a Pope Francis documentary? And we get like one clip of him in his younger years and not the stuff that he has been doing the past two years. Like this is a documentary. Where is that documentary feel? And this is just, it, it had no teeth.
1: Like, yeah, it felt, it felt like an extended 60 minutes piece. Yes, where I'm absolutely. Just I'm just interviewing the Pope, and he's telling me about his own personal theology mm-hmm. and why being poor is bad, and how we feel about <laughs> molestation, and how we feel about homosexuality in the church, mm-hmm. not even how we feel, but here's my take on it. And that and is the other thing. And that that was one aspect that I liked is because one of the things that Pope
0: Francis has been getting under fire about it is his somewhat progressive liberal views. So he talks about it, but not these. This is why. We need to accept homosexual people, and this is what I am doing to do that. It is, I believe homosexuals should be welcomed in the church and blah, blah, as long as they are on their own faith-based journey. They're people of God, blah, blah. But not, I believe this, and this is a conclave I put together that is working at blah. No, he just talks about it. So, I mean, that was kind of rough. Um, This movie did give me... The feels in quite a few parts, mainly because I grew up as a Catholic boy, and so that is going to kind of get me right there. But also
1: some of was the, it all the reenactments of, of the other.
0: Pope? Okay, no, nope, I'm not there yet. So <laughs> <laughs> um, parts of it took place uh, in Italy, and I have been to that exact place where they were in Assisi, in Italy, in this tiny little church, and had an incredible emotional experience um, while I was there. But one thing that this film does that I, and I I do not use this word lightly, I hated, hate, hate, hated these reenactment things that they did. Where it was basically when it would talk about St. Francis, not Pope Francis, but St. Francis and where he came from. It went into a black and white reenactment with actors, which by itself, okay, sure, kind of weird. But not only did it do that, as we were watching this black and white reenactment, it has like that kind of staggered black and white film look from a film when you look at like 1920s and 30s, when the film was kind of, you can basically see that the film is rolling.
1: Yeah. It's like the kind of effect you would see on a sitcom if they were like doing like a Charlie Chaplin thing. Yes, exactly. And all you would need is a player piano behind it, like... And
0: so it gives you that, that tone. And it was like, this is not archival footage of St. Francis from 400 years ago what like that choice angered me like it made no sense if anything give us a sepia tone do not do the flickery thing like a 1920s movie but just do a sepia tone reenactment it would still be dumb because the actors were not good but it would it would make more sense they did that multiple times in this movie it was comical And it just every time and what made it even worse and offensive, like flat out offensive. At one point we're talking about uh, the Holocaust and we're talking about these atrocities. And when Pope Francis goes to Jerusalem, goes to Israel and goes to these places and it shows black and white archival footage of people in concentration camps dovetailed a couple minutes later with one of these terrible black and white reenactment parts. And I'm like, it was offensive like it it truly
1: truly bothered me in a way that i did not expect um you know for me like you know as as radical as the pope is so if if i go in knowing nothing about the pope or mm -hmm. very little about the catholic church or or what pope francis is doing because it's not really juxtaposed with other popes right i have no idea that what he's doing is radical Exactly. Yep. I have I, no idea that this is, this is a radical take that this day of prayer and, and his, his stance on, on molestation in the clergy and all that. I have no idea that it's radical. Mm-hmm. None. And that w- that was again, a, a big fault of this
0: documentary growing up Catholic and knowing like John Paul II and all like the post Vatican II garbage and that condoms are the devil And you should never do that. And it was like, uh, people are dying in Africa and all over the world. Condoms are not the devil. So, like, all of that, this film, this documentary, Pope Francis, a man of his word, needed some teeth. It needed, just like you said, it needed that juxtaposition of, like, hey, this is what my predecessors were doing. This is what I am doing. and not Yeah, you
1: don't have to call anyone out specifically to say, this is historically what we believe, and this is what I think is the way. So yeah. that's it. But, uh, you know, again, since, since it's such a fluff piece, they're not going to do any of that.
0: Yeah. And so that was what this truly felt like. You nailed it. It, it did feel like an extended 60 minutes. Uh, in fact, a uh, 96 minutes uh, yeah. <laughs> presentation. Like, yes, I understood what he was doing. Yes, I understood the context and the history. But that is me. and I And I do think that the majority of people going to see this are probably going to be People like me who at least have some contextual awareness of it, but in general, as a documentary, it, it, it was not a good documentary. It had no teeth. It was a fluff piece. There is a quote by Dieses Amaro, the way that they like to describe things like this. Yes, yeah, uh, exactly what it was. It was <laughs> absolutely a solo. Um, so yeah, uh, we'll just get, yeah the, we'll keep that one short. So my official rating for Pope Francis, a man of his word is bad. I will not say it is ugly because I know that I know people who will watch this and be moved by it. Um, I almost gave it an ugly because of how offended I was with those black and white clips. Like it, it served no purpose whatsoever. We saw a documentary last week called won't you be my neighbor, which I'm saying again this week when it talks about things like that, it does these really, really cool animation Uh, cut scenes do something like that and this is the same company would
1: have been much better
0: this is focus features which they really pride themselves on doing these kind of movies whoever made that decision to do that black and white to fire them never have them work again it was terrible so it gets bad for me but borderline ugly only because of those sections what about you
1: it's a bad. I mean, I don't think it's ugly. I mean, there are there there, there were parts of it that were really inspiring. So mm-hmm. Things that he said about not being indifferent about certain things and and loving people and right. you know that kind of stuff. I thought was you know it's especially in this current time and it's such a crazy week that this kind of stuff was good to hear. Mm-hmm. But it, it was such a fluff piece and so flat when it could have really uh, you know welcomed people to try to learn more about. God, or, or, yeah. or about themselves, or, or how they fit into this crazy puzzle piece uh, uh, on this earth, but they don't. It's just like, hey, I'm the Pope. Look how cool I am. <laughs> I get to fly around the world and and pray with you and touch you and yeah. tell you don't tell you don't be poor. Like, I get and, it. And the thing is, like, and they do
0: mention at one point that, or actually a couple points. So Pope Francis, one of the most amazing things about him as a Jesuit priest is that he truly took that message of St. Francis of right. living the life of these people. Like, so you do not see him like you used to see the Pope in the 90s in these huge hats and the, all of this jewelry and everything. Like, no, he wears the, the most basic yeah. white and he does that all over the world. So like Looking that, like the
1: Migos running around
0: <laughs> with a bunch of jewelry on. Seriously, like if you pull up pictures of Pope John Paul in the 90s, oh gosh, like it is- rough so they did talk a little bit about that how he made those conscious choices
1: but then it just goes nowhere so right yeah i feel like he's a good pope and he's doing he's, yeah he's trying to do really good work and the movie just doesn't highlight that enough yeah
0: and not only is he a good pope like he is a good person like he truly is he has fantastic messages and yeah so anyway uh so moving on from that one another documentary that i saw recently at the seattle art museum uh in collaboration with the northwest film forum was Boom For Real, The Late Teenage Years of Jean-Michel Basquiat. Uh, So this is about the, well, the late teenage years of the American New York-based artist, Jean-Michel Basquiat, who really came to prominence in the late 70s uh, before his very, very untimely death in 1988. He he was 28 years old, but had such a massive impact on the New York art scene at that time going into this movie I knew a couple of basquiat's works but I knew nothing about kind of him this was a compelling documentary to me at least because it got it really went into the New York art scene at the time uh, do you remember in the get down where it talked about how New York was basically on fire in 1976 and 77 yeah. like
1: there's a whole book about that
0: right like I I mean, I grew up on the West Coast, like I, and that was way before my time. I had, so to put it in kind of that context of New York was on fire. These buildings, entire buildings in communities were empty and the landlords were basically like, well, we could just burn it down and get the insurance money. And so this movie, you know, takes place a lot on the lower East side of New York in this emerging kind of punk rock, hip hop art scene in an interesting way it also talks about how his connections with the various women in his life and how he was kind of a ladies man and his kind of fascination with art in so many different mediums was interesting um i cannot talk too much about did they mention, did they mention how many times jay-z's mentioned him in a song no, not that was interesting is that so I know that there are a lot of contemporary artists who draw inspiration from Basquiat, both musically, uh art and multi multimedia. The artists that they chose to portray in this are the ones that knew him back then. So Fab Five Freddy, you know, was in this. Uh Jim Jarmouche, the director, the people who actually were there then, there was not really anybody, I will say from our generation who was like, you know what? He died when I was a kid, but I found his work in college and I did this and this. No. It was all kind of older people who either knew him or were in the art scene at that time. So that was an interesting part of the documentary because, yeah, that is a good point that you brought up. A lot of people talk about him and talk about his works and have used his art in some of their projects. Yeah. None of them were profiled. None of them were... Uh you know, talked about in this. Um, Let me see. So the, the work that he was doing and he was one of the artists where it showed like his old apartment, every door, every window, the refrigerator door, the floor had art on it. Cause he would just, he was one of those artists who once it is inside of you, you have to get it out one way or the other, or it will drive you insane. And so he just he would just put art everywhere around him. And it was kind of cool. So there was a Q&A with uh, Alexis Adler after the film, who was one of his partners um, back then. And she was his roommate. And they were together for a few years. And she still has some of this original art. Like, she has a door that he did, you know, way back then. The, How did he pass? That was... So this is another documentary... That me going into this similar to how you were talking about with Pope Francis, somebody going into that, not knowing the history is not really going to know. They're not really going to get a lot of context with this. I knew pretty much nothing about him going in and I still do not know much about him. I feel like this documentary could have been renamed East side 78 relating to lower East side in 1978 in New York And it would have been fine. Like naming this as a Basquiat documentary, there are so many questions that me interested in the subject matter did not get answered. I have no idea how he died. I have no idea what his relationship was like with his family. I have no idea. Like it was just, there were so many unanswered questions and in a documentary that kind of feels like a failure. How do you feel about documentaries that do something like that?
1: It depends on the purpose of the documentary, right? If it's just to highlight his work and what he did and or his work during a certain time period, I think that's fine. Um, if it's about his life, per se, and they don't want to touch on why he died, then, you know. Yeah. I guess that's it.
0: So it was kind of weird. It Basically, the movie built up the character of New York more than it built up the character of Jean-Michel. And so for me, wanting to know more about Jean-Michel, I was left a little bit disappointed um, and I know that Jeffrey Wright and I think it, in his first movie he did a movie where he portrayed Basquiat so this documentary did succeed in that it makes me want to go watch that to get more of that context to get more of that awareness but overall I, I truly left this film disappointed because I just I still do not know about the subject that I watched an hour and a half documentary on. So this one is tough. As far as my official rating as a documentary, this was bad as a Basquiat kind of tribute film. It was good, I guess, but overall I, I will not really watch this documentary again. I think only people who know a lot of the history will appreciate it because they will know, Oh, okay. This was when he created this piece that I know. So my official rating is, is bad, which I kind of hate to do, but yeah, uh, I, it was just, I wish I had more answers, I guess. So, uh, the last film that we will talk about, uh, is a French film that I was, I was hyped about when I first saw the trailer at the press launch for SIF. Um, I missed it at the midnight screening and I heard that the midnight screening of this was incredible. Uh, the movie is called Revenge or Revenge le film. If you go on IMDb, uh, t-
1: <laughs> Tim, you wanna uh, describe the movie Revenge? Wow, it's about <laughs> revenge. It's, uh, what is it like? Ninety minutes long? It, uh, Maybe uh, it is one forty-eight. So you
0: know, one forty-eight.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's it's about um, this young woman. Who is clearly seeing a guy that's not. He's married and has a family, and Mm -hmm. he leaves her alone to go to do some meeting with some of his business partners. I don't know who these dudes are. They're shady. Immediately they show up, and you know they're shady. Mm -hmm. They're those guys in the movie. Right away. Um, One of them assaults her, Mm -hmm. right there. The other guy knows what's happening, sort of walks away, turns up the television, and goes swimming. Um, And then when her boyfriend or the guy she's sleeping with gets back he's upset and then officer's a really weird deal about like how he's gonna handle it but not really handle it so she's pissed <laughs> threatens to tell his wife mm-hmm. uh and then he uh tries to kill her he well i think they killed her yeah
0: yeah they they, and they attempt they and all of this like if you watch the trailer like none of this is spoilers like yeah you see the attempted
1: murder <laughs> in the trailer yeah. they push her off a cliff <clears throat> Mm-hmm. um and she's not dead. And then proceeds to get revenge on every one of them. Yeah. yeah. Um. So some of, the, some of the things I wrote down with
0: this movie, uh, from a cinematography standpoint, this was stunning. Like, the, the color spectrum they use, the desolate desert landscapes. Yep.
1: Oh, that, uh, that's an important piece. They're in this really isolated like, place. Super Which nice, we, modern home. We, in we think Mexico... Of yeah, yeah, like, I can't tell.
0: Because the the helicopter pilot's name is Roberto. There were agave plants. It looks yeah, like think, parts of Mexico. Mexico. Like in the middle of nowhere. It, oh my gosh. Middle of nowhere. So the cinematography was, was truly breathtaking in a lot of places, just showing the desolation. Um, the color choices, as far as like, there were a lot of like soft orange glows on things. Um let me see. Before we get into... <laughs> uh, oh, the tension in this movie mm-hmm. is palpable. Even when she first kind of sees the two guys who show up at the house. Right. Like, yeah, she kind of, you know, is portrayed as this ditzy, blonde L.A. girl. She has a big I heart L.A. shirt. But
1: She's not the- from L.A. She wants to go to L.A.
0: Right. Yeah. She wants she wants to go to L.A. Um she, yeah, it, th- but just the tension is is very very apparent, and there are so many scenes that are uncomfortable, like
1: truly
0: yeah. uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I, like every scene, like all the scenes, a lot of scenes are tense. Like whenever it gets quiet and just one person, yeah. I got nervous. <laughs> yeah, like when the one guy's in the truck by himself, I was like, oh no, what's gonna happen? He's in the truck by himself. Right, so I'm gonna hop out and kill him. But
0: well, and even in that scene, like there's a scene. So that that scene you were talking about. At one point, there is a weapon next to him, and it cuts yeah. back to him, and the weapon is not there. And I'm like, "Okay, did somebody get the weapon? Are they behind right. him? What is going to happen? This and that." Um, so this ha- this also has to its credit one of the best drug use scenes oh, since yeah. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah. Like this, oh man! Like it <laughs> is intense. Um. But one of the things that you kind of mentioned that I wrote down also, how much blood is in the human body
1: it's a lot it's a because lot of blood this,
0: movie. <laughs> this movie is grotesquely but also borderline silly with the level of blood yeah it, people are bleeding everywhere everywhere like everywhere. There, there is a how the scene or how the movie culminates in this kind of scooby-doo style hallway chase
1: yeah
0: with blood i mean from like literally floor to ceiling
1: right but like, this is like a hepatitis problem this is not good <laughs> like i hope everyone got tested yeah um but so this is directed
0: uh by coralie farge Far- farge first time female director or first time director uh woman director and she talked about it in some of the interviews because i was fascinated by this movie. And so I looked up some of the things with her and she talked about how a lot of the me too times up stuff, uh, definitely resonates in this film. Yeah, for real. And so as a first time director, this was again, like, I mean, her director of photography, whoever it was, if she was the director of photography as well, like really good tandem stuff, uh, shot really well. It was compelling. It was super intense. Um, I mean, yeah, we will, we will not spoil what happens, but yeah, it basically, it is called Revenge. She gets revenge. She goes on a quest for revenge. Um, Man,
1: there were also man, a, a lot they, 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 of... They, go ahead. <laughs> they didn't make her into, like, you know, this super over-the-top badass. No. She's kind of, like, learning on the fly, and because when she first used the gun, it, like, it kicks back on her pretty hard. Oh, yeah, when <clears> I saw <throat> when I saw her make, first make pull sense. that
0: up, I was like... Um, I have shot shotguns before, yeah. and if you were shooting a slug and not birdshot, no, nah, that is going to be rough, because she weighs about 70 pounds. Right. Uh, so they're,
1: they're really good about making it very, uh, as grounded as you could be in a film, like, this as ridiculous as this is, um, mm-hmm. her, the way she escapes things, the, how she tries to get revenge, um, how, she's st- still very smart. Yes. Uh, but not, like, it's not...
0: She, does so not, she is not top becoming top. Lara
1: Croft. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't all of a sudden turn into Lara Croft. Yeah,
0: no. Yeah, uh, some of the... There was one costuming choice um, that I thought was weird. So his two buddies who show up, who are in like kind of desert fatigues, because the whole purpose of them being there is to go hunting in this desert, which was weird, but okay. Um, and they're in kind of desert fatigues. This dude, the main guy, isn't a bright... Blue motorcycle
1: jacket, and he looks like a Power Ranger. He's a douche. Like <laughs> it's <was> just <laughs> well, uh, that's one of the things I liked about the the movie was as it goes along, we realize that he's the worst of the bunch. Oh, very much so. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I think I think me and Aaron talked about that. Me and Aaron White talked about it. Like I think we talked about it. Just he's introed, and then you're like, oh, he's you know maybe kind of a, a bit of a jackass, but no, mm-hmm. he's. He's the worst of the three of those dudes. He's the worst.
0: One hundred percent. They're even one of the creepiest, unnerving characters in this film. At one point, is like, "Hey, maybe we should just maybe we should just leave." Like, "Hey, maybe." Just, yeah. And he was like, "No." <laughs> so, but yeah, this cast, the whole movie has four people in it. One of which yeah. is Roberto, who you only see for like two minutes. So, you know, or actually, sorry, uh, you have five people. Uh, the fifth being Roberto. So the four of them really drive this movie. And anytime you have a small cast movie, you need to be invested in the characters or it is not going to work. And in this one, that investment came in the form of tension and <laughs> worry and concern. Right. But it worked. The main uh, star of this, Matilda Anna Ingrid Lutz. She is an Italian um, actress who is now lives in LA. She was Great. Because again, you start off thinking, okay, this is a ditzy blonde and you know, stereotype. As the movie progresses, her strength and the things that she is able to do were incredible. Granted, some of the things she was able to do, I'm not sure if the human body can do. No. Uh um, probably not. <laughs> but yeah, uh a lot of butts in this movie. Lots of butts. We see, I mean, which again, like you would, you would almost expect from, you know, like Zack Snyder, who, yeah, he just, he loves
1: folks in and on butts. This one, female director, a lot of butts. A lot of butts. Um, There was one scene that I couldn't watch. And that was when a character steps on glass. Ugh. (laughs) has to get the glass out their foot. Yep. Yeah. That was rough. I rarely, I listen, I love horror films. Mm -hmm. I, I can watch them and not be squeamish. That scene, I had to look away. I yep. couldn't do it. Same. couldn't do it. Absolutely same. And Because he removes a piece of glass and then has to go back in and get another piece. And ugh. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and a camera just lingers it just on, it, like, on it. It just stays on it. It stays on his foot. It's very disgusting.
0: Which I would be it fascinated. Is. This is one of the films that... So you and I get amazing opportunities to interview directors and actors and creators. I would love to sit down with this director and find out what movies what horror movies inspired her because this and a lot of it reminded me of like almost trauma like trauma level films like toxic avenger you know where it was just so uh, i was
1: thinking like 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 last house on the left um that yeah. crazy 70s movie like that kind of stuff it reminded me of that
0: yeah well just i guess the little- the, tr- the trauma things of like the well yeah i mean that last house on the left is a, is a good example but yeah just like when he is getting the piece of glass out of his foot and the camera is just hanging on his foot and just zooming in. And you see just not only the musculature, but the sound it makes. Yeah. I know that people uh-huh. who have a hard time with sound are not going to make it through this movie. Because there are so many points when somebody gets cut and you just hear this like, like this is just this wet, visceral sound. I immediately thought of Jessica when there's a close-up
1: of that guy. eating. Oh,
0: I hated that. I was like, Oh, she's going to
1: hate this. Yeah. It's like this loud mouse noise. And he's just like smacking on his food.
0: And the camera is basically in his mouth. Yeah. It's pretty gross. Ugh. Uh, Yeah. I mean, again, one of the words that I wrote down multiple times was visceral. It was visceral action. It was visceral intensity. It was visceral bloodshed. I mean, Wow. But again, the the kind of silliness of the end that reminded me of Scooby Doo meets Golden Eye, um, of just kind of running around it in this hallway, was great. I still really enjoyed it, but it was just it was almost that level of like almost too silly. But right. but yeah, right. super compelling. Uh, I, yeah maybe I will reach out to her and try and try and interview her because this is this is pretty fascinating. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, so oh, well done,
1: well done, revenge film.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. And again, like we talked about with Solo being a heist movie, revenge movies, this one jumps to the list of fantastic revenge movies. Mm-hmm. Like, we could do a whole episode on revenge movies. And maybe maybe we will do that as like a bonus episode someday. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the... Uh, uh, I mean, like, taken, of course, but what was the Denzel Washington? Oh, the, never mind. There are like five Denzel Washington Revenge movies. Never the mind. Equalizer. Uh, yeah. Which The Equalizer 2 comes out in a couple months.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does.
0: For some reason. Uh, so yeah, official rating for Revenge, uh, starring Matilda Lutz and directed by Coralie
1: Farge. What you got? Uh, it's a good, it's a really well done. I mean, it's not for everyone because no. of how violent <laughs> and, um, and how gross it is. Even, you know, for trigger warning for those people who, you know, the sexual assault scene is pretty... Is, is rough. Yeah, It's rough. It's a rough... I think it's meant to be rough. And what's rough is the shot from outside the house. We can see what's happening. That's the rough. Like, like oh, that's, this is rough. Which, I mean, so, again,
0: I think that Coralie did... A, I mean, she knew what she was doing by, rough. you know, that, that analogy of literally this is happening within view of you. And you're choosing to ignore it. You are choosing to go on about your life, which is what happens in so many different aspects. And especially, yeah, with the Me Too times up movement, that visual of a horrible thing happening and somebody being like, "Not my problem.
1: Got to go swimming. Got these laps in." Yeah. So you know, there's that. But if you can, you know, if that's you can get through some of that, then you'll be all right. It's it's a fun fun journey again like it's what 140 something minutes. Yeah, 148. minutes. Yeah. yeah, you're in and out. It's, you know, it's it's pretty action packed so you'll you'll enjoy it. Oh sorry, 108 minutes. It is an hour and 48
0: minutes. So. Okay. Uh yeah, so your official rating is good. My official rating is also good. Uh I was super excited to see this film. I knew it was going to be bloody just cuz you look at the poster and she was covered in blood. I I truly was not ready (laughs) uh my body was not ready uh for how much brutality uh was in this and i really hope and i did not see it in the credits but small animals get harmed in this like ants and spiders and i had a really hard time watching those scenes um even in a movie where blood and guts are are everywhere so i did not see at the end of the film like no animals were harmed in the making of this but i hope that was cgi i hope that was something different Uh, probably not yeah really dead yeah those jerks anyway cool uh so yeah so on this episode we talked about four different movies solo a star wars story we both gave a good it is a solid just sci-fi western heist film uh that i think people yeah if you are if you enjoy star wars you will enjoy this one uh pope francis a man of his word unfortunately you take a great subject matter and you do not make a compelling documentary so we both gave it a bad Mine was almost ugly because of certain aspects of the movie that I truly, truly hated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Boom for real. The late teenage years of Jean-Michel Basquiat. I gave a bad, unfortunately, again, because it just, as a documentary, you need to talk about more. You need need to give us more. Um, So yeah. And then Revenge, the revenge thriller from France. Uh, We both gave a good to. It is a bloody good time, some would say see what i did there bloody good time. Uh,
1: I, yeah I, I did see it I did.
0: <laughs> uh cool so what uh what you got coming up i know that uh our regular movie week is is pretty low but there are a couple sif movies uh what is on your radar this week
1: uh sorry to bother you Why don't you be my neighbor uh sit so far this week i haven't really looked at what else i'm gonna do but i'm sure i'll do something this weekend for sif
0: Yeah, so, and Sorry to Bother You, Tim and I both are going to have the opportunity to interview Boots Riley, the director of that. Super excited uh, for Sorry to Bother You. And yeah, I am seeing Won't You Be My Neighbor for the second time. This time, I will actually get the chance to enjoy the movie. The first time I watched it at the press screening, I was taking my notes. I was doing all of that because we get the chance to interview Morgan Neville, the director. So I had to kind of distance myself and take notes. When I see it again this week, I finally get to just relax and watch it, which means... I might bring a package of tissues because the movie is is, is brutal. So, uh, okay. So, Tim, where can people find you
1: on social media? They uh, can find me at the peoplescriticblog.com. They can find me on Twitter, peoplescritic. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. Yeah, check me out, talking movies. I was recently on the Insanity Check podcast. Oh, nice. Chris, talking a little bit about movies, a lot about racism. So that was fun.
0: <laughs> Sounds like a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, cool and as for this podcast make sure to follow it on social media at about review Facebook Twitter and Instagram about review has full links to the show notes and guests like Tim Hall the people's critic uh, subscribe rate review go on Facebook and leave a review go on Renton City Comic Con and vote for the podcast also quick shout out to some of our other local film critics who are fully entrenched in SIF and giving it amazing coverage uh, Mike Ward of should I see it dot net or dot com Definitely go check him out. The Feelin' Film podcast with Aaron. He is just knee-deep in SIF. And especially, huge shout-out to Brent from The Last Thing I See. He currently... His SIF count, movie count, is up to 30 already. Uh, he is doing work yeah. with... Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, with the Seattle Times. Like, So definitely go check out him. I will put a link to all three of them in the description. They're all three friends of ours local film critics and doing incredible work tim and i have been trying to get to see as much sift stuff as we can but sure. all three of them are just crushing it so
1: oh, real quick uh, made in the 80s this week uh, i forgot what we're talking about um i think we're talking about i like how you interrupt
0: lost. me and be like hey made in the 80s oh, oh and i forget I what forgot. we're talking about
1: <laughs> I, forgot. So I think we're talking about we're talking about uh lost boys and then i'm on cinema squad this week as well i'll be on episode nice.
0: this friday very cool. Yeah, Cinema Squabble, another great local podcast that Tim and I have both been a guest on a few times. So yeah, so that about wraps it up for this episode. Thank you so much to all of the listeners uh, for checking it out. I appreciate all of the, the tweets and emails as people are listening and live tweeting it to me. Uh, it really makes me feel, feel good. And it just I love seeing that interaction with the guests. So I have been joined on this episode by Tim, the People's Critic. And I have been your host, That Guy Named John. We will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To get ourselves a treat.